Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. John chapter 14. That's in the New Testament. And that is the last of the four Gospels. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the fourth book of the New Testament. And today we're starting a series, um, kind of a mini-series, if you will, on um, end-time things or end-time events. The proper term is eschatology. So uh, if, you, if you leave here today and you want to impress your family and friends, you know what eschatology is. It just means the study of end-time events. It's a big five-letter uh, or a big uh, five-dollar word that means that. Today we're going to talk about when he returns. Today we're going to talk about the second coming of Jesus or the return of Christ. Next Sunday we'll talk about Judgment Day, not the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, but Judgment Day, a different kind. We're going to talk about that. And then the week after that we're going to talk about hell, what is hell, who goes to hell, and those kinds of things. The week after that we'll talk about heaven, what is heaven, uh, who goes to heaven, and so on. So I encourage you to come the whole month of April because we're going to be talking about these really important, amazing things. And today is going to be more of a teaching, perhaps, rather than a, you might think of a traditional sermon, whatever that means to you more of a teaching and if you've been a Christian a long time and maybe you've heard a dozen sermons on the return of Jesus um, I, I just encourage you to bear with us maybe this is your first time to ever hear a sermon or a message on when Jesus returns and so I want to address some basic questions today three basic questions that um, why is Jesus returning when is Jesus returning and so what why is Jesus returning? When is he returning? And so what? So the title today is When He Returns. When Jesus Returns. We're going to look at uh, not exhaustive study, or in other words, we're not going to look at everything the Bible has to say about the return of Jesus because there's a lot in there. But we're going to look at some of the more popular ones, the more famous ones, the more highlighted passages, and uh, I'll give those to you. But you want to turn to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Once you're there, if you'd stand as we read God's Word together. John chapter 14, Jesus, this is during the Last Supper, during Passover, what we just celebrated a few weeks ago, uh, right before his execution on the cross and his resurrection, the last meal that he'll have with his disciples, talking about a lot of important things, but this is what he says. Um, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is life. Your word gives life. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our hearts and minds, that we be changed and transformed by your word today. Lord, we thank you. We give this day and this service to you. May you anoint these lips of clay and flesh, that they be your words and not mine. We thank you, and we're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Talking about when he returns, when Jesus returns, or the second coming of Christ. You may have heard it called that. Again, uh, if you've heard a lot of these sermons before, maybe it's your first time as well. But I want to address some important things. And the first one is, when is Jesus returning? So, 
when is Jesus returning? And we want to look at a few things of what Jesus says himself. I believe you're going to study something. You need to study what we call, uh, you need to know out of the horse's mouth. In other words, not secondary material or what a pastor says or what some guy who's just trying to hawk some books tells you. But what does Jesus say himself about his returning? And so as Christians, we believe, and we'll look at that in Scripture in a few moments, that Jesus, that he died on a cross for all of our sins, because he did what we couldn't do, died for our sins. He was buried in a grave, and three days later, God raised him back to life. We believe that. Scripture says that. We just celebrated that last weekend. But we also believe that, you know, sometimes we stop right there after Easter, but really the story goes on. And so Jesus, uh, God raises him from the dead and he's, he walks on the earth and talks with his disciples for 40 days, the Bible says. And then he ascends or he goes up to heaven. Now this is a conversation, John 14, it's amazing. And one of the things I, that I think the Bible is really cool is that we can eavesdrop, almost like we're wiretapping, private conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. It's really neat. I think that's neat about the Bible. So we have an in or an inside scoop on this private intimate conversation. And we're going to look at exactly word for word, what does Jesus say about his returning in John 14, 1 through 4 that we read. Jesus says, look guys, here's the thing. I am going to prepare a place for you and where I go uh, that you may come and spend eternity with me. And Thomas, one of the disciples says, oh, we don't know where you're going. And that kind of launches another discussion. But Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving. After I resurrect from the dead, after God brings me back, I'm not going to stay here until I'm 50 years old or 100 years old. I'm not going to stay on the earth forever. I've got other work to do. We sometimes don't think about that with Jesus, that we think that because he rose from the dead, well, that's it. His work is over. No, no, no. Jesus' own words here tells us, hey, it's almost like I'm just getting started. Yeah, I was crucified. Yeah, I'm raised from the dead, but I got work to do. Jesus isn't in heaven playing the harp. He's not in heaven just, you know, kind of lollygagging around. He is in heaven working. He has tools in his hands. I don't know if it's a saw, a hammer, I don't know what. But he is working for one purpose, and that is to prepare a place for you. Prepare a place for us, those who follow Christ, those who our sins have been forgiven. We claim to live for him. We give our life to him. He is right now, as we're preaching, right now as we're talking, right now as you're sitting there, he is preparing a place just for you and it's in heaven and we'll talk about that at the end of our series Jesus is also Romans tells us in the New Testament Paul says in Romans a letter that he writes to Christians in Rome that he is praying on our behalf so he's preparing a place for us that's what he says in John 14 but he's also making intercession so Jesus is working on one hand to build a place for us but he is praying on our behalf as well I mean pretty amazing stuff so Jesus is preparing a place for me and praying for me Jesus also says in another passage in Matthew, who was a, a follower of Jesus, just like this guy John was that we're reading, Matthew, the first gospel, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew says in chapter 24, verses 3 through 14, Jesus is with his disciples, again, right before he's executed, right before he dies, and the disciples ask him a critical question. Really important question. I mean, last week of Jesus' life, they don't really know that. Jesus does, though. And of all the questions they could ask, look at what they ask him in Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. So again, we have this private uh, eavesdropping conversation. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age or at the end of the world? 
Verse 4, Jesus answered. So Jesus' own mouth, this is what he says about his return. Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen because the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these, look, are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. I've been a Christian almost all my life. And I can tell you that it's, it's comical to me, unfortunately, because you see pastors, famous pastors, and what they're trying to do, I think, is sell books, really, and be famous. But they'll come out with a book every couple of years that, uh, if you remember, those of you that were alive in 1988, a book came out, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1988, right? As far as I can tell, that didn't happen. So then the guy comes out with a book, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come Back in 1989. Utter rubbish, utter foolishness. And I'm asking you, don't waste your money, your hard-earned money on, on foolish things like that or, or uh, you know, these blood moons and all this crazy stuff. You've got to understand something, okay? When Jesus ascended to heaven, and we're going to read that in a few moments in Acts, at that moment, at that exact moment, the last days began. So when Christians say we're living in the last days, well, duh, we've been living in the last days for the last 2,000 years. I mean, think about that. That's what Jesus says. We just read his own words. He said, listen, you're going to have wars and rumors of wars. You're going to have famine. It's going to get bad. And you've got to understand, that's just the beginning. It hasn't even started yet. So when I hear pastors say, oh, the end, is time, the end is near. It could be any moment now. Well, that's always been true. Guess what? There's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always been famines. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been natural disasters. That's just life. And what does Jesus say? That's the beginning of birth pain. As many of you know, we know something about that very recently because we just had a baby girl. And I can tell you uh, that my second go-around, this is our second child, being there both times, that uh, when, when uh, your, your spouse, your wife, becomes pregnant, it doesn't happen right away, does it? No, there is a period between that moment where the baby is in the belly, the baby's in the oven, and the baby comes out, right? There's a moment of typically nine months. So it is with what Jesus is saying here. That's the illusion that he gives, and that's the imagery of the word that he uses. That listen, when I go up to heaven, it's almost like that nine-month clock period is starting. And so we might say, well, yeah, but it's been 2,000 years. We're going to address that in a few moments. But Jesus says it's just the beginning. So things are going to get bad. Oh, things are worse now than they've ever been. Well, duh, yeah, that's true. Guess what? Things, are, things were worse in 1779 than they were in 1679. Things were worse in 1889 than, than they were in 1989. The world is progressively getting worse. And Jesus says, you should expect that. That's normal. That's part of it. And, and I love what he says, because I think a lot of Christians just totally skip over that. And we run around like chicken little, the sky is falling, and we run around like a chicken with our head cut off. Oh my goodness, things are bad. Things are worse now than ever. Well, yeah, that's what Jesus said. This shouldn't alarm you. But look at what he says here in Matthew 24. Don't be 
alarmed. What, how would your life be different if you were not alarmed when you saw the news? How would your family be different? How would you relate to God differently if every time you watch the news and, and some other Christian got you all riled up about, oh, the end times are coming, oh my goodness. If you said, yeah, but Jesus said that first of all, so he's not surprised by it. In fact, he told me not to be surprised by it. And not just not be surprised by it, he said it's just the beginning. And then third, he said, don't be alarmed. Here's the reality, Christians. When we go around as Christians and we're chickens with our head, oh, things are bad, oh, things are getting worse. You know what that tells those who don't know Jesus, those who don't know God? It's saying, if they're panicking because it's the end of the world, why should I ever go to church? Why should I ever read the Bible? Why should I ever give my life to Jesus? Because there's no difference between their panic and my panic. Listen, everybody is panicking because it's the end of the world. The difference is, as a follower of Jesus, you should not be panicking. You should understand that, hey, my home is not this world. My home is in heaven, and he is coming soon to take me to be with him. I'm not going to be panicked because all that tells is my faith is baseless. My faith is empty. The God that I serve is hollow and shallow. When you go around panicking and being all worried, that's the message that you're sending. But if you go around and, and your coworkers and your family and your friends are all panicked because it's the end of the world and all these bad things are happening and terrorist attacks, and I'm not downplaying those things. Obviously, they're horrific. But when you go and you're just as alarmed and panicked as they are, why should they listen to the gospel you have to preach? I can tell you I wouldn't. But when you go around saying, it is horrific, it is tragic, yes, and I'm not downplaying that, it is bad, but my, this isn't my home. I don't belong here. This is just a place that I'm living temporarily. My home, there is no wars. There is no rumors of wars. There is no death. There is no destruction. There is no tear of pain. There are no famine. There are no evil things that happen. My home is a perfect place. That's where I belong. My soul is already there. My body is still here, but my soul is there. And one day, my soul will be in home where I belong. I've got peace. I'm not worried about oh, the stock market crashes. Oh, if so-and-so gets elected. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it'd be bad. But I'm not worried because my hope is not in temporary things. Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 7. He says, don't worry. Don't let your treasure be stored up on earth. In other words, don't put your hope in temporary things where dust and rust and moths and destruction and thieves can steal it. There's a lot of Christians who are walking around that have no joy because they've allowed the enemy to steal their joy, to steal their hope. How? Because they place their hope in this world. They place their hope in politics or money or relationships. That is not what the gospel that Jesus is teaching. No, what he says is place your hope in me and me alone. Don't be alarmed. He says, hey, things are going to get bad. Things are going to get worse. It's just the beginning. Don't be alarmed. As Christians, we shouldn't be alarmed. So, to answer this question, when is Jesus returning? He addresses it himself. He tells us when he's returning. And this is what he says a little bit later on in that same passage in Matthew 24. Now, in verse 36, he says, However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, or in other words, myself. There's only one person that knows when Jesus will return, and that's God the Father. That's it. Jesus doesn't know. I don't know. You don't know. So when you see pastors trying to hawk books and sell tapes and conferences about it's the end of the world and you should panic and the only way you're going to survive is if you buy our water, our generators, or our books, it's, it's, it's nonsense. It's, it's ridiculous because even Jesus says, I don't know. Only God knows. 
But understand this. It is a fixed date and time. It is a permanent thing on God's calendar that will not change. The world could get much better. The world could get much worse. It doesn't matter. It's a fixed time on God's calendar. The coming of Jesus that we celebrate as Easter around 4 BC was a fixed moment in God's history, in God's clock. And nothing could speed that up and nothing can slow that down. It's a fixed moment. It will happen. It is going to happen. We don't know. We don't know when. Well, that's not really encouraging. Yeah, just stick with me. It gets better. Then in Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11, I'm trying to give you a lot of scripture to have more of a holistic uh, image and view of what's taking place when we talk about these things. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, or the disciples, and a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white robes or angels stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from, taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, an angel says, Jesus has said, we understand now the clear thing, he is returning. And he's coming back the same way that he left. It's a fixed moment. It is going to happen. We don't know when, but in the meantime, don't panic. Don't panic. So, when is he returning? Well, we don't know, but it's going to get bad. It's going to get worse. Do you think things are bad now? It's going to get worse before Jesus returns. That is not an excuse for you to panic. Because when you panic, that tells everybody else, the faith in the God that I serve is hollow, empty, and shallow. No, but to go around saying, I am confident that my God will keep me. I may have persecution. Jesus said that. The world may hate me. And we see that being ratcheted up here in our own country more and more and more. That, that our own citizens are turning against Christianity, turning against your faith, being persecuted for your faith. Guess what? It's going to happen and it's going to get worse. That's not an excuse to panic or riot in the streets. That's the opposite of what Jesus said, isn't it? He said, don't be alarmed. Trust in me. Since Jesus left here in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, we have been living in the last days. My question is, the critical question, are you prepared for the persecution that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24, and are you prepared to stay faithful in these last days? So if you're a follower of Jesus, that's the question really before you right now today as we're talking. Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, are you prepared for the persecution that is to come? Really, that's already here, we could say, and going to get worse. Are you prepared to remain faithful? Because Jesus said a lot of people will not be faithful. A lot of people will not be prepared. You're prepared for financial calamity, but you're not prepared for the persecution. You're prepared for all these other things in your life, but you're not prepared for those who you love to turn their back on you and persecute you because of your faith. Are you prepared for the persecution that's coming? That's what Jesus is asking. Will you remain faithful when the heat gets turned up? when it's no longer acceptable culturally to be a Christian and follow Christ. We see that happening more and more. It was in the news this week. Governor of Georgia, you know, kind of caved to the pressure and so on. We see that happening. Will you give in to those things? Or will you stand firm? As Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That's the question only you can answer. Secondly, when is he returning? We don't know, but don't be alarmed. Things are going to get bad. Be prepared. Secondly, why is Jesus returning? Well, Simply put, to take those who have uh, had their sins forgiven by him and are actively living him with him, to be with him forever in eternity. Why is he returning? Two main things. One, 
any and everybody whose sins have been forgiven by Jesus Christ, not just those who go to church or the mom and dad who went to church or they gave money to a church or they can recite the Lord's Prayer. No, 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 he ain't coming back for that. He's only coming back for one type of person. Rich, poor, male, female, doesn't matter. Educated, uneducated, white, black, Hispanic, doesn't matter. One type of person. It's only the person who says, my sins have been forgiven by Jesus and I'm living for him. That's who he is returning for first and foremost. Secondly, he's returning, we don't talk about this very often, to judge those who don't live for him. To judge those who have rejected him. That's not as popular. We don't get as excited about that, but it's true. Again, Matthew 24, what Jesus says about this in Matthew 24, verses 30 through 34. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be deep mourning among all the people of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and of heaven. So, notice what Jesus says there. Two main things. He says, listen, and then the end will happen. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a blast of a trumpet. Keep that in mind. There's going to be a blast of a trumpet. Angels will come down, gather up his chosen people. In other words, those who have put their faith in him, their sins are forgiven. Gather them up, take them with him to be with him forever and eternity. And while that's taking place, everybody else that's left on the earth will begin to mourn and wail and weep and their heart will break. Why? Because they know that's it. No more chances. He's coming to judge. He's coming to judge those who have rejected him and persecuted his people. So when you see on the news, this is why we say don't panic, when you see on the news Christians being persecuted, whether it's here in this nation or, or in Iraq and Syria under ISIS, the demonic thing of ISIS, when you hear those things, understand Christ is coming and he will judge those who persecute those who follow him. Now, with that said, that doesn't mean we get excited. When your boss or your loved one or your family or friends persecute you for your faith in Christ, that doesn't mean we get excited. Yeah, you're getting yours someday. I can't wait. I hope I see it. I hope God rubs your face in it. You know? No, no, no. That's not a Christian attitude. That's not the attitude of Christ. No. Instead, our heart should break for them. Our heart should mourn for them because they've rejected Christ. They have opportunity after opportunity, and the sand and that hourglass has run out. No more days of our lives. It's it. That's what he's saying. The world will mourn. They will see Christ coming. There's sometimes in these pop culture, you know, in Christian pop culture that, well, the world won't know when the rapture happens and the return of Christ and Christians are gathered up. The world won't know what happened. They'll say something else happened. That's a lie. Don't believe it. That's not what Jesus said. The world will know what's happening. They will know what's going on. They will know it's a rapture. It's the return of Christ. They will know that only those who followed him are no longer here, but they have been raptured or resurrected to be with him forever. They'll know. And they'll know that their day, their chances have run out and their day of judgment is coming. They'll mourn. You say, boy, that's kind of harsh. It's not my words. It's not the words of a denomination or grace church. It's the words of Christ alone in Matthew 24. Paul uh, a man who persecuted Christians himself, but later was transformed and gave his life to Christ. He writes, he started churches all over uh, Asia Minor, and he writes to a church that he started in a city called Thessalonica. And we know that letter as 1 Thessalonians. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18, Paul says this. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and raised to life again, we just celebrated that last weekend, so if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he is resurrected, then Paul says logically you need to believe this as well. They're part and parcel of the same thing. We also believe that when Jesus returns, so it's going to happen. Look, 
God will bring with him all the believers who have died. We tell this to you directly from the Lord. So this isn't Paul's opinion. He says, this is what God told me directly. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Look at verse 18. So encourage each other with these words. So when you're at a funeral, you know, some people say, well, a funeral is a celebration of their lives. Some people say, no, we should mourn our lives. I think both are correct. But really what Paul's saying, if it's the funeral of a Christian, someone who believes in Christ, we should encourage each other, maybe not at that funeral per se, but at some point encourage each other to say, hey, this is temporary. Their body is not here for forever, honey. They're not going to rot and decay and die in this tomb, in this grave. No, no, no. Their body will be resurrected. And Paul says, listen, think about this logically. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead, was resurrected from the dead, then logically you should believe that Jesus is returning. And when he returns, as his body was resurrected from the dead, so your body will be resurrected from the dead as well. I mean, that's encouraging. So if you believe in Christ, death is not final. Death is a, a milestone in life. Like when you turn 16 and you go from having a permit to being having a license to drive. It's a step. It's a milestone in life. So it is with death. It's not final. It may seem final because we're controlled by time on this planet, but God is eternal God. He is not controlled by time. Death is but a mere step from this life to being joined with him forever in eternity. And so Paul says, listen, I want you to understand because Obviously, the Christians at Thessalonica, Grace Community Church in Thessalonica at that time, there were some Christians that were worried about, maybe Jesus already came. What's going to happen? Maybe Jesus already came, or maybe death really is final. Maybe that's all there is. When I die, that's it. Black. That's all. No, 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 Paul says. That's just a step that when we die, Christ returns. Everyone who is dead will be with him first. So you almost maybe want to die first, right? Because then you have first privilege. You get to see Jesus before everybody else. But those who have died will be with Jesus. Then we who are still alive will be caught up with Jesus in the air to look, to do what? Be with him forever. Romans 8, Paul, the same guy says, nothing can separate us from God's love. Here you go. That you'll be with God forever. He says, encourage each other with these words. I hope this message encourages you today as Paul tells us to. The question, why is he returning? He's returning to gather those who live for him, who've given their life to him and their sins are forgiven. That's who he's coming for first. But secondly, he is coming to judge those who rejected him. That's not as popular, it's not as comfortable, but it's true. It's God's word. My question for you is, are you prepared for his return? Are you prepared in your own life for this moment? It could be at any moment. It could be at any day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. I don't care when, to be quite honest. I don't care if it is today or tomorrow. That's not of importance to me. What's important is that I'm prepared for when it happens. It could happen today, and if I'm not prepared, it's no good. Are you prepared? And maybe if you say, well, yeah, I'm prepared, then the question then needs to be, and that's good, and that's all well, but the question needs to be, are you actively preparing those God has placed in your life for his return? In other words, the people that you go to work with, you may despise them, you may hate them, but guess what? God put them in your life to prepare them for his return. Are you doing that? It's not just, well, I invited them to church two years ago. No, 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 that, that won't fly. 
No. Are you actively preparing them? Well, I've tried to share the gospel with them. Okay, and that's good. Keep doing that. But here's what the real solution is. Prayer. Pray that God would soften their heart, that their eyes would be open, that they would accept Christ. Pray that on that day when that trumpet sound blasts, and again, Jesus talked about it, Paul talked about it. So there's going to be a trumpet, angels are going to come down, take those who follow Christ to be with Jesus in the air. Pray that those in your life, because God placed them there, it's not by accident, it's not by happenstance or circumstance, no. God specifically put people in your life for one purpose, prepare them for his return. So you would, I would hope and pray that you would pray and you would actively work that when you hear that trumpet blast and you're at work you look around and all your co-workers or employees they're going with you wouldn't that be awesome i mean think about that how, how would your life be different if if your family you're sitting at home you're eating spaghetti on monday night the trumpet blast goes here's angels and your whole family goes are you actively preparing them i can't answer that only you can and third because we talked about when we talked about why because jesus is returning he's returning to judge those who reject him and persecute his followers but understand this here's what's really cool i mean all of it's really cool but here's one of the things i think is a really cool thing that jesus has the final say in your life not anyone or anything else on this earth listen the things that happen to you in this life, good, bad, and ugly, are not the final things in your life. You may get fired from a job. You may be persecuted. You may have loved ones that turn their back against you. But understand, that is not final in your life. It may feel like it at times. We're not downplaying that. It may be hard, but it's not final. Because Jesus is resurrected from the dead and returning, nothing in this life is permanent. Only your relationship with Christ is permanent. There's a poem that I usually give at funerals, and I love it, and I hope somebody says it at my funeral. But it says that uh, what is done in this life uh, will not last. Only what's done for Christ will last. This world and its systems and its values are not our home as Christians. You who say, I, I believe in Christ, I live for him, this world, the governments of this world, the values, the, the morals of this world are not your home. In other words, you don't belong here. You don't. You were not made to live on this earth forever. No one was, in fact, even those who reject God. No. Anything that happens to you, good, bad, or ugly, it's not forever. God will come when Christ returns and makes everything right. He completes what he started. Well, how do you know that? Philippians 1, 6, Paul, the same guy we've been talking about, writes to another church that he started in Philippi. In Philippians 1, 6, he says that God will complete the work he started in you. You know when that work will be completed? When you hear that trumpet blast and you see Jesus face to face. At that moment, the work that he started from the day you gave your life to him, it's completed. He'll finish it. Other people may mess you up. Other people may step on you. Other people may hurt you in a horrific manner. It's not final. It may feel like it. No, he'll complete what he started. He's faithful. If he left, he will return. The values of this world are not our home. And I see so many Christians, and it breaks my heart, who instead of having this mindset of this is temporary, they have the mindset of this is permanent. They get all worked up when things don't go their way. They get all worked up in the negative of the news. They get all worked up when they get money. They get all worked up over temporary stuff. And that breaks my heart because that's never God's intent. 
No, God wants you to say, it's temporary. In other words, have the mindset of, I'm a renter. I don't own this home. I don't own this earth. I don't own anything in this life. I rent. In other words, it's on loan from me, from God. It belongs to him. Remember, we are citizens of heaven and ambassadors of earth. That's the exact words that Philippians 3.12, Paul says, he says, but we are citizens of heaven where we where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and look at this, we are eagerly awaiting for Him to return as our Savior. How can you eagerly await for Him to return when you get so comfortable on this earth that you begin to think, this is maybe where I belong? No, it's, I've heard a pastor use this analogy, and I think it's great. It's kind of like when a scuba diver goes underwater. They're not meant to live underwater. Only fish are meant to live underwater. But they're there temporarily. Not forever, temporarily. How can they survive in an environment that they were not created to survive? With oxygen tank. So in other words, how can you survive the values and the systems of this world when you were not created by God to live here for forever? The oxygen tank of the presence of God. The oxygen tank of God's word. The oxygen tank of prayer that gives you life. When you're in a foreign environment or like astronauts going to Mars, they have that. They're not meant to live there forever, but temporarily. So it is with us. But so many Christians, they get under the water, they look around, they think it's nice, they take the oxygen off, and they die spiritually. Well, this is comfortable. I could set up here forever. They die spiritually. No. Keep the oxygen. You don't belong here. Don't mirror the values of this earth, but reflect the values of heaven. Jesus said that in his, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6.10. Jesus said these famous words that not our will be done, but your will be done in heaven as it is on earth. That's that mindset. Hey, temporary. No, God, let your will that is perfect in heaven, let it be so on this earth. 2 Peter, finally, Peter, the follower of Jesus, the, the, his Jesus' right-hand man or best friend, however you want to coin that term, writes uh, two letters in the New Testament. His second letter, he writes to this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 11. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffer will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. In other words, Peter says, listen, in the last days, people will come and say, you know, are you still, I mean, 2,000 years, you still think Jesus is going to return? You guys are crazy. You're a couple fries short of a happy meal. I mean, come on. This is 2016. We've, we've evolved. I mean, even as Christians, you should know better. Peter says, be prepared for that. Because they'll say, nothing has changed. Be prepared, Peter says. He gives us warning and encouragement. He says, verse 5, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water, that he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood in, in Noah. Verse 7, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up by fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when the ungodly people will be destroyed. Verse 8, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like one day. The Lord isn't really slow about keeping his promise as some people think. No, look at this. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night unexpectedly. 
Then the heavens will pass away with terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Look verse 11. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives you should live. Peter says, listen, there will be people, and there have been, ever since Jesus went away on that cloud in Acts 1, who come along and say, oh, come on, 2,000 years, give it a break. It just ain't happening. Maybe he didn't mean that. Maybe he meant something else. Don't believe it. That's a lie. They forget all the other things that God has done. He goes on and says, you have to understand that he is returning, and you have to understand God's time is not your time. It's not my time. That a thousand years is one day, and one day is a thousand years to God. God has not forgot his promise. God will keep his promise, but he's going to keep it on his clock, not your clock. He's going to keep it in his time, not the time of some pastor trying to make money selling books about the end of times. He says that he will return quickly. And, and I love what Peter says. I mean, Peter, full of compassion, he says, look, you want to know why Jesus hasn't returned? I mean, honestly, all of these, why hasn't Jesus returned? Oh, things are bad. Things are getting worse. Peter says, you want to know why he hasn't come back? Because he has compassion. Because he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. It breaks his heart. That goes back to what we said a while ago. Are you prepared and are you preparing others? Because that's why he is waiting. He's waiting on you. He's not waiting on himself because the day is already fixed. But he's waiting on you. Are you actively preparing those around them? In other words, does your heart break for the lost like Peter says God hearts break? Does your heart break for those that don't know Christ? For those who are not ready for his return? That's why he's delayed. I think so many Christians, what happens is we get saved, we come to church, we start going and reading the Bible and doing all these great things, and, and unfortunately, as time goes on, we get more and more comfortable, more and more insulated as Christians, going in our routine that we forget there's a whole world that are drowning in sin, they're dying as we speak. And God is so overjoyed that we've given our life to Him, God is so glad that we love Him and has a purpose for our life, but sometimes we just get so inwardly focused that we forget God is still concerned about them. God loves them just as much as he loves you. God has a plan for their life as he has your life. Do you have a heart for them like God does? Does your heart break? God, I don't want my coworkers to go to hell. God, I don't want them to be, uh, you know, spend eternity apart from you. God, no, I do anything I can. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to do anything I can to reach the lost. I love that. The Lord isn't slow about his promises, some people think. No, Peter says he's being patient for you. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You know what God's will is? Every person goes to heaven. I mean, it is. That's what God wants. God wants hell to be reserved only for the devil and demons. That's it. He wants everybody else, every other being that he created to be with him in heaven. That's his will. That's what he wants. What are you doing to help fulfill that? Don't be so inwardly focused as a Christian that as you're on your way to church and you drive by your neighborhood, all those houses, do they know Christ? Where would they spend eternity if Christ returned today? Pray over your neighborhood. Pray over your schools. Pray over your place of employment, over your family. Worship team can come back. My final question for you today is, are you living 2 Peter 3.11? And again, Peter talks about all this stuff 
He says, hey, uh, some people are going to say that he's never returning and on and on and on. And, uh, but no, he's, he's waiting. He's being patient because of love and compassion and mercy. And I love what he ends. I love how he ends verse 11. He gives his whole uh, exposition on the return of Christ. And his final words in verse 11, he says this, Since everything around us will be destroyed, what holy and godly lives you should live. My question is, are you living a holy and godly life in the meantime? A lot of Christians, we come to church, we sit on our hands. Well, I'm going to heaven. My kids, I think they're going to heaven. My spouse is going to heaven. I like my church, I like my pastor. And you're sitting on your hands. God is saying, no, 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 that's not why I died. I didn't just die for you, honey. If it would have been just you, I would have done it. But it wasn't just for you, I did it for everybody. In the meantime, are you preparing others as a Christian? Are you preparing others? Are you living a holy and godly life? Peter tells us to do that. And it's not Peter, it's through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, God is telling you today, well, I'm waiting on the return of Jesus. Oh, come on. No, 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 no. Well, it could be, you know, I, I looked at the economy and I looked at this Bible prophecy. Come on. No. Jesus said, I don't even know. Quit obsessing about the day and the hour and start obsessing about reaching the lost. Start having a passion about reaching those who don't know me and live holy and godly lives in the meantime. Are you doing that? Are you obsessed? Not about when he'll return, because he doesn't mention that. He says, be obsessed about reaching the lost. And he also says, be obsessed about living a holy and godly life. A life of discipleship, a life of total devotion to him. Only you can answer that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. We thank you that we serve a God that is returning. We have studied that pretty thoroughly today in Scripture, place after place, even your own words, Jesus. And if we believe that you died for our sins and rose from the dead, then, then logically we have to believe you are returning. But you tell us quite clearly to not obsess about when, and to not be alarmed about how bad things get around us. But you do tell us to obsess about reaching the lost, having a heart of compassion for those that don't know you like you do. And you do tell us in the meantime to live holy and godly lives, lives pleasing to you in all that we do. And oh God, it is my sincere deep prayer in the pit of my gut that every person that hears this message today would do that that we wouldn't sit on our hands any longer, but we would be actively sharing the message of Christ, whether that's through praying over someone or, or verbally telling them about Jesus or, or living a lifestyle as an example of what you can do in our lives. And Father, in the meantime, as you are working to prepare a place for us, you tell us to be working for you. You're working on our behalf to prepare a place for eternity for us to be with you, but you quite clearly tell us after we study today to actively be working for you in reaching the lost and living holy and godly lives. I pray that as a pastor, that would be said of this church when we meet you in the air as we read, when that trumpet blasts and the angels come to gather us, we meet you in the air. The Father could be said of every person in this room, yes, we were actively working on your behalf, actively trying to reach the lost, actively praying for them, actively living holy and godly lives pleasing to you.
We didn't just come to church and occupy a chair once a week. No, God, we were busy doing what you've asked us to do. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you, I beg you, please don't leave the same way you came. You can fill out that connection card under the seat in front of you. You can come talk to me after service. You can come right now and pray. I'd love to pray with you. But I beg you, please don't leave. Leave here knowing that if that trumpet blast sounds today and you see Jesus coming, that it won't be long and you'll be right there with him. If that's you, if you'd make that decision right now, for the rest of us, I plead with you, be actively preparing those around you in your life for the coming of Christ. He is coming. He is returning. Whether it's in your lifetime or not is not important. What's important is that you're prepared and you prepare those around you and that in the meantime, you live a holy and godly life. Father, we love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. Father, I thank you for every person that is here. Lord, may you bless all that they put their hands to. May you bless their coming in and their going out. Father, may you help them to have a greater hunger for you in their homes. Bless them in their families. Strengthen their relationships and their marriage that your presence would dwell in their homes. Bless them, Lord, in a public place to have a heart for the lost like you do. Bless them, Lord, to be bold and stand up and stand out for you. Father, bless us as a church to be a biblically healthy, fruit-producing church that changes lives in our community. And Father, give us a greater hunger for your presence a greater passion to live by the truth of your word and not compromise, and a greater heart and passion to reach the lost, that our heart would break as yours does. And help us to eagerly wait for your return and realize this is not our home, it's temporary. And help us to live holy and godly lives and actively reach the lost. We love you and we thank you. We're nothing without you. In Jesus' name we pray. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.